Welcome everybody to the Moose Room. OG3 here. A little bit exciting. We have the gruesome twosome in person. <laughs> and then we have Bradley on the other line. Hi, Bradley. Hello. Still. Are you a little sad you're not in person with us today? I am. I'm jealous that you two are together in the same room today and yes. I'm just here at home still. Yeah. And as, we, as we've said several times, it's been so long since all three of us have recorded in the same room. Yeah, it's been, I think, episode one, maybe two. Exactly. So oh my God. 70 episodes ago, we were in the same place. Yes. And now two of us are together and, and Bradley will be with us soon as well. This week, we're going to be talking about something related to, of course, the thing on everybody's mind, the drought that we're seeing. And, you know, I know that a lot of people, my family, you know, people I just talk to, friends and stuff, Whenever it rains, they always get so happy because they're like, oh, well, it's rain, so everything's green again. So that must be good for the farmers, right? And Joe is shaking his head. He's like, no, no, no. So what we're talking about today and specifically why everything greening up right after a rain should be an area of concern for cattle producers is nitrate poisoning. I don't know. Maybe I'll throw it over to Dr. Joe to give the like 30 second what nitrate poisoning is, and then we can get more into it. I think the biggest thing to know comes from one of our colleagues, Troy Salzer. And the, the goal, whenever we talk about nitrate poisoning, according to him, is to scare everyone because you should be scared of it. It's scary. Uh, you can kill cattle quick, and there's not a whole lot you can do about it after they eat whatever they're eating that has all those nitrates in it. Nitrate is just something that accumulates in plants. Cattle eat it. It causes a lot of problems by converting to nitrite which can't be converted away from nitrate fast enough. And that binds with hemoglobin to create methemoglobin, which doesn't carry oxygen. So what happens is these cattle basically suffocate. They have no oxygen being delivered to the tissues in their body and they die from lack of oxygen, which is a horrible way to go. It's a real deal. This is a real thing that's happening in Minnesota. We've already lost cattle to it. Um, so everyone should be aware and they should be scared of it. Yeah. I mean, I know I'm already scared because what, what we're basically saying right, is these cattle asphyxiate to death. Yeah. hundred percent. It's just yeah. uh, a lack of oxygen being delivered to everywhere in the body that needs it. And then they're gone. It's, it's really quick. It, uh, it, this is not a, oh, it'll happen a day later or overnight or, you know, it's very quick. It's, very quick. What is it? Hours? Yeah. I mean, as soon as a half hour up, you know, four hours, but I mean, it's happening pretty quick. Um, and low levels can be a problem too, for other reasons. But what we're really talking about today is just cattle actually dying from this and having a problem uh, because of that nit nitrate going to nitrite, then binding the hemoglobin. It it's just a bad situation. And that all happens really quickly. All right, so let's briefly talk a little bit more about the process of why we're seeing this increased nitrate in the plants. So again, we're in drought conditions. Right after we see rain, everything turns green. Joe, I'll let you take it from there. Well, and maybe Bradley's better at this since he's the grazing expert and all this, but my, from my understanding is that basically what happens is that in a normal year, plants are growing, everything's fine. Um, because they're absorbing nitrate and that's getting converted pretty quickly to amino acids and, and protein to allow that plant to grow. 
But what happens is, you know, plants need water, sunlight, and the right temperature to grow. And if you disrupt any one of those three things, you end up with the plant still absorbing nitrate, but not growing. So the roots are still absorbing all that nitrate and storing it in the base of the plant in, in the stem and some of the lower leaves and, and the roots as well. And it sits there and accumulates and continues to accumulate so that when that plant does grow, there's a lot more nitrate there than there would be normally. Does that, does that seem about right, Bradley? That's correct. It just, you know, you, you, you see it. <laughs> Joe's all thrilled that uh, I gave him an A plus for that. Got a non-animal thing right. 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 We're so proud. And, and you see it, it, and it happens really fast in lots of different situations, whether it be drought. And, and we talk about it a lot in drought situations, but it doesn't necessarily have, have to happen in, in a drought situation either. You know, you, you can see it in many different factors if you're growing, you know, grasses or forages with a lot of manure buildup on them, it can happen. So it's not, it's very concerning in a drought situation, but you always have to be thinking about it as well. And Joe, cut this out if I'm wrong, so I don't sound stupid on the podcast. But in a in a quote unquote normal year, don't we usually see it a little more in the fall sometimes? Or am I still making that up? I think you're you're right. You're right. We do see it in the fall because of uh, the small grain aspect to it. Um, that that's part of what we see, uh, and that that has to do with like kind of what Bradley's talking about when we get these other situations where it's a, a different temperature, a lack of sunlight or like this year, a lack of water. I mean, fertilizer has a big piece of this and it doesn't really matter what kind of fertilizer, manure or whatever else you're putting on there. So when you get some of this regrowth from small grains after they've been harvested, uh, things like that, we do see it traditionally in the fall. So it is an issue every year, but specifically this year, it's more of an issue. It's an issue, we've established that. Related to drought can happen anytime though. I think next I want to go to, if I'm a producer, how do I know if I'm having this problem? How do I know to be on the lookout for nitrate poisoning? We're waiting for the grazing expert you're, you're to You're waiting respond. for me. You're waiting for me. I think what, one thing to think about is you, you, you have to think about it from a grass species standpoint. We usually see this in warm season grasses a lot more. You know, we talked about when we can see it during the year. Well, you see it a lot in warm season grasses or some sorghum sudan grasses, sudan grass during the summertime. And you can see it in oats uh, or whatever you're grazing in the fall. One thing that we've sort of also seen with our grazing cows is if you get into a field with, uh, or a pasture that has a little bit of pigweed in it, maybe a little more pigweed than the, what you notice, you will get some sort of accumulation of nitrogen from that. So there's Lots of different species. I think most people think about, you know, nitrate poisoning from warm season grasses only, but that is not necessarily true. There's a lot of different grass species that we can see. So what do you do about it? You should probably test for it, right? Whether it's a pasture or you've made, you know, uh, silage, you know, we've made sorghum sedan grass silage before. You always want to send it to a nutrition lab or a forage testing lab and test for nitrogen. Uh, levels. It's cheap, you know, less than $25 to, to do that. And it'll give you a, a nice output, a, a range of what your nitrate and nitrogen levels are in that forage. Is it, is it true, Bradley? Because I, I truly don't know. Does ensiling 
actually sometimes help decrease the level of nitrate when you when you ferment or or try to store that feed across time yeah the longer time that it's ensiled yes you do see some decrease but you should still test for it even though it has been ensiled but yeah if you ensile it for a short period of time you're it's going to be higher than if you let it go for another year they you you know I'd recommend if you're making sorghum sedan grass silage you probably should wait a few months before you even go into it because of the accumulation of nitrogen uh, right away in that plant. So it really seems like, you know, testing is the way to go to know what your status is with it, what's going on in your pastures with it. Besides that, you know, what are some symptoms we might see? I mean, we've already scared everybody with the whole, your cows are going <laughs> to drop dead in an hour, but if they can catch them before they drop dead in an hour, what sort of symptoms uh, might people see or if there's a lower level of nitrate poisoning in cattle? Well, you know, since it's, it's due to lack of oxygen, you're mostly going to see heavy breathing from the mouth. You're going to see lots of respiratory movements really are, are, the, are the issue. So if an animal is heavy breathing or is, is not, obviously if they're not breathing, they're, that's not a good sign either, but it's really going to have to do with respiratory distress. Yeah, I mean, not breathing's not breathing's a good sign that you got a problem. The other thing I like to check if you're if you're super worried about this and you're turning cattle out for a half day or something like Bradley's doing now, I bring bring a few animals in and I check mucous membranes. That's going to be the first thing you see when we get to met met hemoglobin levels at twenty percent or so. You'll start to see gray blue membranes. So in the gums, under the lip, inside the vulva. That'll they'll turn from a nice bright pink color to kind of a grayish or blue color, and that's the very first thing you'll see. Um, because by the time you get to panting, uh, you're 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 in you're in the death zone. Yeah, you're getting close to just just not being able to do anything about it. So um, the other thing that I always think about with this too is that it's additive with any other source, right? So if you have high nitrates in your water, it's cumulative. It's cumulative. That's the word. Cumulative. Good thing Emily's here in the same room. Gruesome, <laughs> yeah. gruesome. It adds up, and that that's another thing to check. So, um, I if you have the ability to, or if you're worried about it at all, I like to check everything if you if you can. Now, that's not always possible, um, and the most important thing to check is whatever the cattle are eating. If you have sensors in your cows, sensor. oh yeah, I'm gonna. Did, yep, did you sensor say sensors? Yeah, I did. You can put a sensor in it. You know, we, we've seen that before in, in our cows. Granted, it takes an hour or two to actually see that, but we've noticed it from our sensors. You can see rumination just drops off significantly if there's a, a problem with nitrates. It just, they have gigantic belly aches, for lack of a better word. So what are, what, what are some other things that we, we might be able to do? Cattle can get used to nitrates too. They can they can build a tolerance to the nitrate in the diet, but they have to get used to it and it has to be a very gradual process. So again, you know, you think about just like an animal in a feedlot, you start them small on a little bit of grain and you build them. And that's the same thing you do with nitrates. Now, I'm going to advocate that you work with a nutritionist to do that. That's not something you should be playing around with. Because it, like we've talked about, it's scary, it's dangerous. So you need to be uh, working with someone who knows what they're doing. Mark it down. The vet suggesting you use your nutritionist. 
this is a big day. Big day, big day. And uh, contrary to what a lot of people think, I do like nutritionists and I try not to butt heads with them too, too often. I mean, there's things that we, we will butt heads about, but you do need to work with a nutritionist on this. There's no way around that at all. One thing that we've done that has maybe helped and could be recommended is if you're grazing, maybe some forages, warm season grasses is to not do it in the morning. So you graze into the afternoon or to the evening because nitrate levels tend to be higher in forages in the morning. So you can graze later in the afternoon or, uh, you know, it's not much of a problem if you give them something else to eat. You know, if there's hay or TMR or something else uh, before they go out and consume uh, either silage uh, from these forages or, or graze, you can do much better by having some fill in their room and instead of going out there on an uh, empty room. And that helps a lot, kicking them out with an already some fill in that room and so they don't gorge themselves right out of the gate. Uh, that can definitely help you get through some of those high nitrate feeds that you got. And, and I think we, I think we pretty much said this, but I, I think we need to reiterate that this year is weird and this is a different year. We're talking about uh, pastures being an issue that traditionally would not have been an issue talking about anything you harvest, uh, regrowth on anything. I mean, this is a, a problem for pretty much any feed stuff right now. Don't be thinking that you need to just test your summer annuals or your, uh, or your oats or any other small grain. You need to test. I mean, we're talking pretty much anything at this point that the cattle are going to eat. You should be testing. And that probably brings us to sampling. Taking the right sample is super important in this. So Bradley, can you kind of help us figure out how we're supposed to sample a pasture? Well, if you, if you have a pasture, you're probably going to want to take, we're usually doing five to six places where you harvest the forage and then you mix them all together to make sure that you kind of get a representative sample of that pasture because, you know, cows are going to go all over the place. So you want to get an idea of what they're going to eat across the whole pasture. So that's one thing that I would recommend is make sure you take enough forage and you mix it all together before you send it into the lab. And, and we would do that with, you know, if, if we had say uh, sorghum stain grass silage, we would take it from many different places in, in the bag or bunker or wherever uh, to get more representative sample. The easiest way to think about it for me is what are the cows going to eat? Like if you're going to let them graze that pasture all the way down to almost nothing, you need to take the whole plant. If you're really going to, you know, think about letting them in there and only graze the top half, or, I mean, you just need to take exactly what the cows are going to eat and really think that through, because if you take the wrong sample, uh, it can be dangerous because you don't know what you're actually dealing with and what those cows are actually eating. And I also suggest, and you were getting at this, Bradley, that, yeah, you want to take five, six samples from a pasture and make sure that if your pasture has some different terrain in it. You have a hill on there, you know, making sure you're getting things at the base of the hill and on the top and in the middle, uh, just to make sure that again, you know, you're getting really representative sample because we know that those areas uh, that are hilly, especially, you know, the soil can be vastly different from one spot to another. So that plays a big role in it too. But the biggest thing to remember is you should test the forages. I don't know if we can reiterate that enough. You should test it. That, that is your insurance policy to making sure there's not a problem. And 
you know, one, one thing is what, what happens if you do have a lot of nitrates, then, then what do you do now? What do you do? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a good question. I, I don't, I don't know what to tell you there that, you know, that's a, that's an idea of, well, if you have one sample that you sent in, maybe you wait a week or, uh, and resample it again to make sure that the numbers are correct, or you can, you know, blend in, if you have a TMR, blend in some of that forage is a small amount. You know, there's ways to get around it, but because it does happen where you have nitrate levels and they're kind of at that limit. And it's like, well, now what do I do? Because I have all this forage and now I can't feed it. Well, that's, that's not really true either. Yeah. And, and diluting, I think, is probably the most popular way to, to work with this. But not everyone has that capability either. Right. Um, so this is where you need to really lean on your neighbors and find someone who does have that ability and figure out what you can do with that feed um, or, or pasture, because it, it, it can be, yeah, it can be challenging once you have high nitrates. Um, important to get the cows off of it first and then figure out what to do working with your nutritionist. I think we've covered a lot. There, there's all sorts of more stuff we could talk about. We could get deeper into the plant biology side of things, but honestly, I don't think we have the right people here to do that. <laughs> and we shouldn't. And we know some of you listen to us in the tractor. We don't want to put anyone asleep. Agreed. All right. So we are going to wrap that episode there. If you have questions, comments, scathing rebuttals, you can email those to themoosroom at umn.edu. That's T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M. At umn.edu. Good job, Bradley. You can find us on Twitter at umnmoosroom and at umnfarmsafety. Visit our website, extension.umn.edu, for more information on a lot of things related to the drought and cattle production in general. Plugs are done. We are going to let you go on your merry way. Bye. Bye. Jersey's the correct answer. Yep. Go, Sadism. <laughs> <laughs>